We are linking tonight the mind of the West and the mind of Christ. And we are singing there in our hymn, A Mind at Perfect Peace with God. So, just linking in with what David has already shared with us. There's a little graphic there about a a gladiatorial context. And um, it reminds me of how it was in the year 391 we read that a, a monk called Telemachus uh, rushed in from his rustic setting to the city and saw this contest going on in a Roman amphitheatre and he couldn't believe the bloodlust and the cruelty and the disregard for the value of human life. There was certainly no consideration for the sanctity of all life equally in the gladiatorial ring. So he ran down And he shouted out in the amphitheatre, in the name of Christ, stop! And he repeated it again and again. But soon he was thrust through with a sword and disposed of. But his cry reverberated for some time. And actually, his intervention was finally honoured by the abolition of the gladiator contests. And the historian Lecky says there has been no greater reform in the history of humanity than the abolition of the gladiatorial contests. Such was the um, difference that that made, he felt. So the sanctity of human life, all lives being of equal moral value, not any regarded inferior and to be disposed of. Well... David has brought a quote before us that's fairly recent, and I'll bring you another one here. And it's by the famous atheist, Richard Dawkins. And he was responding to a woman who I think hypothetically was putting forward an ethical dilemma. She was saying, suppose the fetus that I am carrying is found to have Down's syndrome. What would your advice to me or anyone like me be? And Immediately and very forthright as he is, Professor Dawkins said, abort it and try again. Why would you do anything else? He said, I'd go so far as to say that if you were to bring such a thing into the world, it would be immoral to do so if you had the choice. And there was soon after that um, an outpouring of outrage over the internet. People did not at all want to accept what Dawkins was saying. But, as we've already heard tonight in another context, the ancient world would have had no problem with what Dawkins said. The classical world of the Greeks and the Romans would have totally agreed with Dawkins. Because Plato and his disciple Aristotle, they both believed in infanticide. It was okay to kill infants, even on the flimsiest flimsiest of reasons sometimes. If it was a a weak or sickly child, or even if it was female, that child would be exposed in the woods, or left on the rubbish dumps, and discarded, disregarded. So the Greeks certainly proposed that, and the Romans practiced it. And their philosophy was... We're better off as a whole in society without the weak. 
Nietzsche, the German philosopher who died in the year 1900. In fact, it's 44 years since I first came into this hall. And in those days, we had a big Sunday school. And one of the choruses I remember us singing was, God's not dead, he is alive. And of course, that was the riposte to the catchphrase that describes Nietzsche. He advanced the proposition, God is dead. We have killed of God philosophically. There is no God. Grow up. And so Nietzsche, echoing what the classical world had previously thought, he would say, pity thwarts evolution. If it's the fittest who survive, then it's the fittest who should survive. That's a natural law. Go with it. If you do anything contrary to that, you are thwarting evolution. So his view, and he was very dismissive of Christianity, he said Christianity takes the side and the part of the weak. You don't want anything to do with it. So what does it look like when God shows up? And God did indeed show up. Titus, Paul writing to Titus, Titus 3 and 4, speaks of the kindness of God appearing. When God showed up, when God became incarnate in the person of Jesus Christ, this is what we find. But when the kindness of God our Saviour and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us in accordance with his mercy, being justified by his grace. Kindness, love, mercy, grace. That's what it's like when God shows up. So different from the classical world. And so different from the echoes that have happened subsequently in history, given by people like Nietzsche. And so when we come across a typical Facebook meme these days that would say, society should be judged by its care of its weakest members. That is not reflecting the classical world. That's not reflecting the, the thinking of people like Nietzsche. Where does that kind of idea come from? Well, this is a refrain you'll be hearing again and again tonight from David and myself now, that it has to come from the Jesus revolution. Because when God showed up, there was kindness. There was compassion. And so society took the value from that, that it would be judged by its care of its weakest members. Here's another quote. We're having some quotes from relatively recent times. This one comes from 2018 in New Zealand. A citizen there was mourning about poor coverage for their cell phone. And they ranted, it's really medieval for this day and age. They were complaining, as we say, about a lack of signal. Medieval? What was in their mind? In the Middle Ages, it was not all about battles and boils and bubonic plague. What about universities? Cathedrals with their gothic arches and their flying buttresses. The Magna Carta. Parliaments. The literature of Dante and Chaucer. The medieval period was actually pretty rich. It was darkened as far as the gospel was concerned. We have to say that. But in other areas, it wasn't totally dark at all. And so... There was value there. We would say the Middle Ages would go from the fall of Rome 
in 410, when the Western Roman Empire came to an end in 410, from that point in history until the Renaissance or the Renaissance in the 14th century. So about a thousand years. But it wasn't all doom and gloom. It wasn't all pitch blackness in every regard. There was no sudden light at the end of it after a thousand years of darkness. And we can see that from one of history's greatest ever scientists. Sir Isaac Newton said, If I have seen further, it is because I have been standing on the shoulders of giants. And those giants were people who had come before him, of course. And some of them might go back even into the Middle Ages, the medieval period. Here's another quote that picks up and continues the scientific theme. You'll remember Boris Johnson saying early on in the COVID era in 2020, we will be driven by the science. Everything this government does and its COVID policies will be driven by the science. No, that's not a picture of Boris Johnson. He's not aged uh, too much. But that is a picture, in fact, of Galileo. Because we're introducing here the myth that, particularly maybe in the Middle Ages, it was science versus religion. And that myth continues to play out today, doesn't it? People believe in that. And they would use Galileo as a poster child of that myth that science has been opposed and suppressed by religion. And really, Christianity, as we heard at the beginning, is thought to be anti-science. That is a myth. Historians don't actually believe that, although it's very popular. Because in opposing Galileo, the church of that day, which was the Catholic church, consulted the scientific consensus. So this wasn't a case of science v. religion, but it was about progressives versus conservatives. And I better say that's conservatives with a small c because Boris Johnson's on the same slide there. But in a way, Galileo was his own worst enemy. He had a gigantic ego. And he had a friend in Pope Urban VIII. And he got an agreement from the Pope that he could actually publish a paper putting out the two views. The old classical view that the planets circled round the earth and the sun went round the earth. The view of Aristotle and others like that in history. And alongside it, what was the controversial new view at that time, that the sun was the centre of the solar system and the earth and the planets went round the sun. He said, I'll put forward the two views. So he got agreement from the Pope to do so. But Galileo chose to put it forward in the form of a dialogue. And he had the person taking the earth-centred, now becoming obsolete position, as being someone labelled simpleton. And he went and put the Pope's words in this person called simpleton's mouth. So he didn't make any friends with the Pope by doing so. And he shot himself in both feet. And that's why the, the myth has come about that um, religion is opposed to science and the church in the Middle Ages tried to suppress scientific progress and advancement. It was nothing of the sort. It was progressives v. conservatives. In fact, as David Bentley Hart, historian, says, 
Christian universities overturned a pagan cosmology. So it was Christian universities, Bologna and universities that were there in the Middle Ages and views emanating in them that actually overturned the previous thoughts from Aristotle and the classical world and gave us the view of the solar system and universe that we hold to today. One mathematician has said this, that faith in the very possibility of science owes its existence to medieval theology. So there was light in the Middle Ages, in the medieval period, that helped the path of scientific progress even afterwards. Another quote, taking us to another topic, one we've touched on briefly before, freedom. You may remember Sir Keir Starmer in 2020 saying, you can't in 21st century Britain have a slaver on a statue. This was all occurring in the aftermath of the death of George Floyd and the, the rise of uh, protests against racial discrimination and the Black Lives Matter movement coming to the fore again and taking the knee being revived and so on. All that was going on when this quotation came about from Sir Keir Starmer. The particular statue being dismantled there was of uh, a slave merchant trader by the name Colston. And it was in Bristol. And it was pulled down. This man, Colston, had worked for the Royal African Company. And during the 12 years that he worked for that company, 84,000 men, women and children had been captured in Africa and transported across the Atlantic to be worked to death in the tobacco and sugar plantations of the so-called New World. He was revered in his day and a statue had been erected in his honour. You can't have that, the leader of the opposition said, in the 21st century. The Atlantic slave trade, spanning the 16th to the 19th centuries, saw more than 12 million Africans transported from Africa and being trafficked and then ruthlessly exploited by white owners. And it's a shameful thing to say, but the slave trade propped up the British Empire. It caused the growth and expansion of the British Empire. There was no shame in those days about trading in slaves and owning slaves. Colston was then revered. But 300 years later, Colston is now reviled. What a change. Change has come about, of course, as a result of movements in the 18th and 19th century where Christians drove the abolition movement. People like William Wilberforce. One historian and current modern philosopher, Tom Holland, we've plugged Glenn Scrivener's book, The Air That We Breathe. There's a book that he himself would acknowledge by Tom Holland. In the States it has the title Dominion. In the UK it has the title The Making of 
the Western mind. And he would say in this, now he's a historian, he's not a Christian. At best he's agnostic. Um, but he's just researching and presenting what he believes are sober facts. He says the seedbed of the American Republic was the book of Genesis. <coughs> Interesting. It kind of parallels the Lord's words in Matthew 19 and verse 8. You remember in Matthew 19 the Lord, well they were trying to embroil the Lord in a controversy about divorce. And the Lord didn't debate divorce with them. But he went right back to Genesis chapter 2. And he said from the beginning it was not so. God's pattern for families and society was one man and one woman brought together in a lifelong union not to be put asunder from the beginning it was not so now you might think about slavery if we're making a parallel with this you might think about slavery and you say well but Christians sometimes have not always expressed very perfectly um, the value of freedom some Christians in history have had slaves. And maybe it's possible uh, or been possible to have a theological debate about the biblical status of slavery. But when we even raise reservations like that, to do so we are invoking the bedrock values of the Bible that come from Genesis and the early chapters. Where humans are equal. Made in the image of God. And no one owned by anyone else. From the beginning. It was not so. And if you look at the big story of the Bible. The meta narrative as they say of the Bible. God taking Israel. Redeeming them. Liberating them from slavery. As a precedent. And as a symbol for our redemption. From slavery to sin. The big story of the Bible. Is one of liberation. And the Jesus revolution overall has brought that value to Western society. So, is it biblical to be weird? That might seem a strange question to you. But weird is not the word weird, but it's an acronym standing for Western, educated, industrialized, rich, and democratic. You are weird. I'm not insulting you. I'm just saying that's the outlook of the society that you're part of. And you will espouse the values that society as a whole most probably here would espouse. It was Joseph Henrich who brought that term, coined that expression. We are weird. We do believe in weird values if we believe in the Bible. Because... Weird values, the outlook of the West, as we saw at the beginning of David's presentation, is about equality. Now, long before, there was no equality in history, in the classical world. Greeks and Romans and all that. Only steep hierarchies. Some people were more superior than others. Outside of the West, you would still find remnants of that today. The caste system of India but the Western mind has the value of equality and is against racial discrimination. Compassion 
Our society believes in compassion. We don't always practice it in a way that everyone agrees with, possibly, but we believe in the value of compassion. But long ago, pity for the underdog was despised. It was thought weakness, not a commendable thing at all. Consent. It used to be in history that powerful men could possess the bodies of whomever they pleased. But the Jesus revolution has changed that. In fact, the teaching of 1 Corinthians chapter 7 has brought consent, mutual consent, even into the marital bedroom. That's the profound challenge that comes from the Jesus revolution. And it has helped to shape our society. Enlightenment. Once in history, education was the privilege of only rich men. Now, in the West, we would see that as a, a terrible thing. It has to be for everyone. And probably people in the West stand by those in Iran and Afghanistan, women there, who are currently, outside of the Western mindset, campaigning that they too should have the privilege of being educated. Science. Once knowledge, knowledge about the natural world around us, was dictated by authorities. But things have moved on. Freedom. Once certain classes of people were thought to be rightly and legitimately enslaved. We don't think that in the West any longer. Progress. Now ridding ourselves of evils. People like President Obama when he was in power, he popularised this expression that the arc of history should bend towards justice. These weird values, values of Western society, these are biblical core values. So we lament, don't we, the decline of Christianity in the West. And it is a real phenomenon. And nothing we're saying tonight is opposed to that. There has been a retreat from Christian beliefs, but not from its values. That's the interesting thing. And something that we can gain leverage from in witnessing. Human rights are, if you like, the flotsam and jetsam left behind by the retreating tide of Christianity. People don't believe in Christianity in terms of a virgin birth and resurrection from the dead, but actually they believe in the values that Christianity brought forward and has left behind. People like Nietzsche would have said, despisingly of Christianity, Christianity takes the side of the weak and that has infected all of humanity, making it sick with suspicion for all that was strong. It's a, it's a backwards, upside down compliment, if you like, of Christianity. People like Darwin, followed by Nietzsche, and followed by Hitler, as they each put their predecessors' ideas into practice. They opposed what they saw as the fundamentals of the Christian faith. Now for them the fundamentals of the Christian faith were not the incarnation of Christ or his atoning death. But for them the fundamentals of the Christian faith were the oneness of the human race. And the obligation to care for the weak. They rejected those values. Jordan Peterson, we've had his name mentioned already this evening. He has said, the Bible is, for better or worse, 
the foundational document of Western civilization. I don't know if for many that would be self-evident, but actually self-evident there is a reminder to me what was said by Thomas Jefferson in 1776 in the American Declaration of Independence. He was the chief author and he wrote that the the equality of every member of the human race was self-evident. They took it as self-evident that all men were created equal. He said it's self-evident. But it wasn't self-evident. Because Thomas Jefferson himself was the owner of 600 slaves. So how was all men created equal a self-evident value or truth? Something that's self-evident would be a triangle has got three sides. That's self-evident. A bachelor is unmarried. That's self-evident. The Pope is a Catholic. That is self-evident. But all men created equal was not self-evident throughout history. That value has come through the Jesus revolution. And so historians such as Holland that we've mentioned would say we have to choose between two impossible things. Remember, the people who are putting forward currently these researches and these arguments, they're not Christians. So this doesn't depend on you being a committed Christian to put forward what we're putting forward tonight. We are putting forward what historians and philosophers are currently sharing. And they advance these things as the facts of history without believing the truth claims of Christianity. They're just saying Christianity has had a massive influence on the Western society. But they are ambivalent as to whether, number one, could it be that the world is so constituted that God took on humanity and he was crucified and three days later he rose from the dead? They are not convinced that happened. The other option is that humans invented this preposterous story that somehow, nevertheless, has reached into every facet of modern life and utterly transformed it. And they find both these propositions impossible to choose between. But that's the reality. So what? It's always good to finish with a so what. I'm finishing with this. How can we use this? How can we gain any leverage from it? Suppose someone you're chatting with claims they could never believe in anything supernatural. We can now face them up with the historical fact that the views they already probably hold are very far from natural. They owe everything, in fact, to the Jesus revolution. I would say, this is a paraphrase of the last chapter, I think, of Tom Holland's book. I think there are only two ideas we can choose from. First idea, that in the twisted, mangled corpse on a cross, we see the glory of the creator. Now, that's very strange. You count it strange, so once did I. The Jews counted it strange, a stumbling block. 
The Gentiles in history counted it strange. Foolishness. People would still count it that way today. But there's that main idea. One of two that we can adopt and choose. What's the alternative? If we don't believe that a twisted, mangled corpse on a cross is the glory of the creator. The other view is what was set forward by Nietzsche and Hitler. Extreme racism and the ultimate display of inequality and ruthlessness in society. Turning society into an Auschwitz. And so we have either the strangeness of the cross or we have the horror of the concentration camp. Those are the two basic ideas. 